The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Open your Bible, if you will, to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And in just a minute, we'll look at these words that we've looked at for the last two Sundays. Before we do that, let me fix in your mind two or three things, not more important than the sermon, but they are important as we look down the road. One has already been mentioned, but sometime when my mother and dad were rearing me, they repeated themselves, and when they repeated, I knew it was important. So this is important. Next Saturday night, Sunday morning, sometime in there, you're going to gain the hour that you lost last spring. Now, I don't know why they do it on Sunday. They didn't ask me. If they had, I'd have said, put it on Friday. They'd asked me, I'd have said, don't change it at all. Just leave it like it is. But they didn't ask me. So remember next Sunday, if you come on the old time, you're going to be here at the 8 o'clock service or 8.15 service, and you don't want to do that. So be sure and remember to move your clocks which way? Back. You go back in the fall and forward in the spring. Spring forward, fall backward, okay? Now, sure enough, some of you are going to show up on too early next Sunday, so just remember, Carter told you so. But secondly... A week from day after tomorrow is what day? Somebody said Tuesday. Yeah, but Tuesday, but it's election day. I want to challenge you, go to the polls and vote. It's not my prerogative to tell you how to vote, but it is my responsibility to tell you, be sure and vote or you forfeit your right to grumble and gripe and complain. So just don't do it. Go vote. Whoever you vote for, it's your responsibility to exercise that privilege we have here in our part of the world. The third thing is to remind you that also next Sunday, the first Sunday of November, I will do something that I've been doing now for almost 40 years. I preach, I preach again a sermon every year on the first Sunday of November and your pastor got you educated to this, and I've looked at his sermons. They're very good, but they're different. mine is different from his. So you're not going to hear a rerun of Brother Mike's sermon, Come Before Winter. Read the last verses of 2, Peter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and come next Sunday. It's the one sermon that I preach every year on that particular Sunday, Come Before Winter. It's a sermon on the passing of life's opportunities. Things you can do today, you can't do a week from now, a month from now, much less a year from now. So it's the urgency of doing it now. Beyond that, you're aware, if you've been in this church very long, that in the month of December, we focus our attention on world missions as well as Christmas and Christmas music. We'll be having all of that, but particularly I want you to begin thinking now and reserving some time to pray and some money to give. In the month of December, for you who are 
Southern Baptists, we talk about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you don't know that phrase, then it's just a world mission offering that goes to support all our SBC foreign missionaries. And every penny, every dime, every dollar that you give goes directly to support the missionaries. No penny is kept out for anything. Our church has set a goal. We'll be talking about that. We're going to reach the goal. I promise you we're going to do it. My goal is to announce at our Christmas Eve service here that we have gone over the goal. I believe we can do it. Thank you. You don't even know what the goal is yet, but that's all right. We're going to do it for the glory of God with the fullest assurance our money goes there. To get us ready for that, on the fourth Sunday of November, there are five Sundays next month, on the fourth Sunday of November, the 23rd, we will have a veteran Southern Baptist missionary that you're going to come to love and appreciate and to pray for. He spent most of his adult life as a missionary in Vietnam. He raised his family there. He's been going back even in retirement to Vietnam. But Dr. Sam James is a wonderful, live missionary who doesn't just talk about it, he's done it. And he's going to talk with us the Sunday before Thanksgiving about world missions. And then we'll move into a particular emphasis during the month of December. So you keep those four things in mind. Remember time change, remember to vote, remember to pray for come before winter, and remember to pray for our world missionaries. Now come with me to the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. For two weeks now, we've been looking at these 12 verses, uh, these 12 words. Here they are. Let's say it together. You ready? Here we go. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We have already looked at God's will practically, and I suggested there that you keep in mind the intentional will of God, the permissive will of God, things he permits that are not his intentional will, but he permits because we have a will. <clears throat> and then the ultimate will of God. Ultimately, certain things God himself is going to bring to pass. So practically, we've seen those three dimensions to God's will. Last Sunday, we looked at understanding God's will biblically. And we pointed out several things in the Bible plainly we don't have to think about, pray about, talk about. The Bible says this is the will of God. And it's our responsibility to do it as we've sung about already this morning. Now today we come to the part of the series that is where we have more questions than any of the other two. And that is understanding God's will personally. That is for you and for you and for you and for me, for each of us, for our church. How do we understand God's will personally? And again, I remind you, I don't come to say that. You write these little notes down and you won't ever have any problem understanding the will of God. That is not true. But I do think that we need to do the best we can not to be foolish or unwise, but to understand what the Lord's will is. Three things I want to quickly do with us this morning. Number one, let me give you, ask one question to you. Number two, 
I want to give you two words of caution. And number three, I want to give you six guiding principles that will help us understand the will of God. We'll spend most of our time there. But to begin with, here's a question. I've alluded to it earlier. I want you to carefully evaluate it in your own mind. Only you know the answer to this. But here it is. Do you really want to know God's will? Don't just give a church answer. Don't just give a Sunday answer. Down deep in your heart where nobody knows but you and God. This morning, do you really want to know God's will? The psalmist said in Psalm 40 verse 8, I desire to do your will, O God. And that word desire is a strong word. I genuinely want to do your will. I hope that's your feeling this morning. That we really want to know and to do God's will. Secondly, let me give you two words of caution. You may not agree with these, but I think they're valid. Two careful things we need to be cautious about in trying to understand God's will for us personally. Number one, I would give you a word of caution about putting out fleeces. That is, sometime, and I know that it's done in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, Gideon put out a fleece and it got wet. But I'd be cautious. I don't say don't ever do it. But I would not just go around saying, well, I'm going to put out this fleece. If it rains tomorrow, I'll know God wants me to do thus and so. No, it may rain tomorrow because God wants it to rain. It doesn't have anything to do with what he wants you to do. So don't just go around thinking that, see, what we do when we do that, we almost put God in a straitjacket. and say, now, Lord, here's what you've got to do. If you want me to do this, you let it rain, or you let the light change, or you let something else. Be careful. Be careful about putting out fleeces. Now, I'm not saying never do it, but rarely would I ever suggest that's a way to know the will of God is by putting out fleeces. The other caution I would give us, it may be encouraging to some of us, and that is, <clears throat> don't feel in understanding and doing the will of God, you've got to hit the bullseye every time. I think if we just hit the target, we're headed in the right direction. Sometimes I think we almost circumscribe God and feel like we've got to hit it right on the bullseye to be in God's will. My concept of the will of God, as I've thought about it and prayed about it across the years, has expanded some, and I begin to see God's will in a little bit different light. And that is, if I can just hit the target, I'm in God's will. You say, well, Charles, I don't know whether I understand that or not. Well, let me give you a for instance. <clears throat> some people I know, good Christian people, have felt that of all the six billion people in the world that they might marry, there's only one person out of six billion they could marry and be in God's will. That's the bullseye. You hear me? Now let's just suppose that is true. Grant you that argument for the moment. And let's suppose that before you ever marry that person, he or she is driving down the highway and some drunken driver gets in an automobile, drives down that highway, runs into them and kills them. The one person you're supposed to marry, dead. What you gonna do? Oh, you say, well, 
I guess I'd have to marry somebody else. Oh, no, no, no. You can't marry somebody else. They're already picked out for somebody else. You see the domino effect? And what I'm saying is, I don't subscribe to the idea there's only one person you can marry and be in God's will. Now, you may feel you found that one person out of six million. Congratulations. But for you who are not married, I'd say hit the target. Here's the whole point. I have no question. There is a kind of person I must marry to be in God's will. I don't mind telling you. There's some people I couldn't live with. So don't sit there pious. You couldn't either. And you know what? They couldn't live with me. <laughs> it works both ways. So not just anybody could live with you or me and put up with us and be in God's will. But there's a kind of person I must have and you must have to be in God's will. And that to me is the target. And when we find the target, we don't have to necessarily hit the bullseye. If we hit the target, I think you can be assured you're moving in the direction of God's will. Now, so much for those two words. Be careful about putting out fleeces. You don't ever want to try to put God in a straitjacket. That's not our prerogative. And you don't have to hit the bullseye necessarily hit the target. And you're moving in the right direction. And the main thing that I want to say to you now are these closing words. Let me give you six guiding principles that I hope will be helpful in understanding God's will personally, where we ask most of our questions. Here they are. Number one, God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know it. Sometimes I hear people talk and pray as if we've got to plead and beg God, oh dear God, please show us your, you don't have to pray that will, that way. God wants us to know his will. He's a revealing God. He's a disclosing God. He's given us many things to say this is his will. The Bible, the cross, the Holy Spirit, Christian friends, our conscience, all of these are God's efforts to help us know his will. And so, as the psalmist said in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. For instance, right now, Brad talked to you a moment ago about our pastor search team. They're working diligently, prayerfully, persistently, patiently. Now, as we pray for them, don't find yourself, oh, dear God, please, please, please. God's up there saying, I want to let you know that will. But sometimes it doesn't come. Just all of a sudden, boom, God hits us with it. There are certain conditions that have to be met. God not only has to deal with us, he has to deal with the person out there. And so here's my whole point. God is a revealing God, a disclosing God. God is a communicating God, and God wants you to know his will, whatever it may be, not just finding a pastor, but what you may need to do about an investment, what you may need to do about a decision. God wants us to know his will more than we want to know it. So all we have to do is get our antennas up so that God can communicate to us. Secondly, don't miss it. <coughs> God's will for us personally is always compatible with God's nature. One more time. 
God's will for you and me is always matching up with, compatible with God's nature. Therefore, the more you and I know about God, the more we're able to understand God's will for us personally. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why we ask you to go to Sunday school, not just to check it that you've been there. That's why most every time when I stand up to preach, the first thing I say is, open your Bible. Why? Because the most important thing you hear in a sermon is what God says through His Word. And so God's all will for us is always compatible with God's nature. And the more we know about the Bible, and the more we know about God, and the more we know about both of these, the easier it is for us to understand God's will. <clears throat> Therefore, spend time in Scripture. Spend time in prayer. Spend time getting to know God so that it is easier for us to understand God's will for us, knowing God's will is always compatible with God's nature. I hear people talking and praying sometimes as if they want to know just how close to sin can I get and still be in God's will. Now, you would never put it in those words, but that's what we pray about sometimes. Just, just how close to the world or how close to wrong can I get and not be burned? Listen, the farther away from that I can get, the better I like it. You see, because God's will is never going to lead you to do something that's wrong. You don't ever have to pray about certain things. God didn't give us the 10 suggestions. He gave us the 10 what? Commandments. And therefore, we obey them. And when we don't, we get into trouble. God's will is always compatible with God's nature. But I'm glad I can say the third thing. Also, God's will for you and for me is always compatible with our basic personality. In other words, God knows who you are. God knows what you're good at. God knows what you're not so good at. God has, God, how did you get your personality? You ever thought about that? Where did your personality come from? You didn't go down to Walmart and buy it. Where, where did you get your, you know where you got it? You got it from your mama. You got it from your daddy. And you didn't have any choice about them. You had to take who God gave you. But also, they didn't have any choice about you. They had to take you. Now, where did you get that? God, before you were ever born, God knew what he wanted you to do. He, wanted, knew, what, he knew what his plan for your life and purpose was. And God gifted you with your parents and with, through them, the DNA we call it now. But what we're really talking about is your basic personality. God's will is always compatible with my basic personality. Put in language you can understand. <clears throat> God never gives an imperative that's impossible. God never tells me to do something that I can't do any more than I tell my children to do that. My children are young, six, seven years old. I never said, now, now Carol, I want you to be able to spell trigonometry. She did not even know what it is, much less how to spell it. And as a good parent, I'm not going to ask her to do something she can't do, much less would our Heavenly Father ever tell me to do something I can't do. Here's the way to put it possibly. If God gives you an imperative, it's not impossible. Sometimes you may not understand it, but God knows what he's doing. 
God's will is always compatible with our basic personality. Another way you can remember this is that God's will is not only spiritual, it is that. It comes as a byproduct of Bible study and prayer, and the Holy Spirit. But God's will is not just spiritual, it's sensible. It makes sense. God is a God of order and purpose and design. And God's will is not just spiritual, it is sensible. I put it in language anybody can remember. God never puts square pegs in round holes. God is not going to lead a pastor to your church that's going to bore the heaven out of you. He just doesn't do that. God's will is always compatible with our basic personality. God knows what I can do. God knows what I cannot do. And God will never put me in a situation to do something I cannot do. Translated in language you could understand. I don't ever have to be six feet, two inches tall, have a head full of wavy hair, and speak with a North Carolinian accent like Billy Graham to be in God's will. I don't care how many times I read the Bible, how much I pray, I'm never going to be six feet, two inches tall. I'm never going to be have a head full of hair. I'm glad for a little bit I've got. <coughs> and I will never speak like I came from North Carolina. I came from Birmingham, Alabama. But you know what? Thankfully, I don't have to be Billy Graham to be in God's will. And you don't have to be anybody but you. But here's the thing. You are the only person that can do what God put you in this world to do. Nobody else can do it. Only you. Now, don't get the big head. God knew what he was doing, and you couldn't do what you're doing if God hadn't gifted you for that. God gives us certain gifts, certain skills, certain talents. You know what I'm talking about. Some of, some of us are gifted in certain areas and not gifted in others. I had a friend one time, he could just almost listen to my automobile and tell me what the problem was. I don't know one end of a screwdriver from the other. So I don't know how to do that. But he couldn't preach either. So that's God's will is always sensible. It's not just spiritual. God gifts us with certain things. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you ladies are very, very gifted cooks. I mean just put you in the kitchen and you're in hog heaven. You can create, you can make it taste good. Others of you, you're a disaster in the kitchen. I've got a dear friend. She's such a disaster in the kitchen. You know what she did a few years ago? She took the oven out of her kitchen, put it downstairs in the basement. Said if you ever sold a house, she'd put it back upstairs. Now you say, why'd she do that? She don't ever cook in the kitchen with the oven. I can't believe that. Well, whether you believe it or not, it's the truth. Now, on the other hand, that same lady is the author of more than 20 books. She's a writer. I've never done that. Most of you have never done that. Now, don't worry about the kitchen. She gets that taken care of by somebody else, but she can write. And if somebody else can't write, they can cook. What is the, the sensibility of God's will? God's will for us is always compatible with his nature, but it's always compatible with my basic personality. So keep in mind, God never puts square pegs in round holes. He's never going to put you in something where you're miserable doing that. Principle number four. Hear it carefully. God's will can and will operate always despite 
suffering and difficulties and adversities. The fact that you may have encountered a terrible experience in your life, suffering, adversity, whatever it may be, does not thwart the will of God. Most of us have tasted those kind of experiences in life, and they're hard to go through, but don't feel like because of that, after that, you must be out of God's will, or you wouldn't have gotten into it if you'd have been in God's will. No, not that at all. Read the last chapters of the book of Genesis sometime. Joseph there is described his life, one tragedy after another. But all the way through Genesis 36 to 50, you'll find this little phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. Over and over and over again, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He rejected that. He did the right thing. And because of doing the right thing, he got thrown into prison. He was in prison not because he was out of God's will, but because he was in God's will. <coughs> God's will for you and for me can operate even in spite of bad situations in life. Just last week, a dear friend of mine told me of a young student recently at Baylor University, the largest Baptist school in the world, told him. She said, I want to say to you something I've not told many people. My mother is in prison today for murdering my father. And he was being understanding and trying to console. And she said, oh, but understand, it might have been the best thing that could ever happen to her. For you see, in prison, she heard the gospel, became a Christian, and when she dies, she's going to heaven. Now, God didn't make that lady kill her husband. Don't misunderstand. That was bad. That was terrible. That was wrong. But even in the midst of that, you see Romans 8, 28 in operation. God works in all things for good to those of us who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God's will can operate even when things go wrong. Even when adversity and difficulties come, don't feel like you can never, ever know the will of God if you're going through suffering and adversity and pain. God's will can operate even despite bad things happening to us. Principle number five, don't miss it. God's will for us is always progressive, dynamic, fluid, moving. That is, and don't let this upset you, God's will is subject to change. God's will can change. You see, the fact that I am in God's will today does not guarantee I'll be in God's will tomorrow. And we need to remember that. The fact that Brother Mike was in God's will here for 35 years doesn't mean he's out of God's will because he's no longer here. I believe he's still in God's will. I believe this church is in God's will. Why? Because God's will can change. God's will is moving. God's will is dynamic, is progressive. And therefore, his will is subject to change. For 26 years, I was the pastor of the Shades Mountain Baptist Church. February of 1998, I left there and retired as pastor of that church. I felt I was in God's will when I came there. But I feel that I hopefully am in God's will, doing what I've done for the last 16 years, 
that is being an interim pastor that I never thought I would be and teaching at a divinity school that I never thought I would do. What happened? God's will is progressive. God's will is dynamic. God's will is subject to change. And the fact that I was in God's will 50 years ago doesn't guarantee I'll be in God's will today. God's will is continually changing and moving and we have to be responsive to that and sensitive to that. Sometimes people change jobs. Now some people are job hopping from one place to another. But very, many of you didn't just have one job. My father only had one job all of his life. He worked nearly 50 years with a telephone company. <coughs> Most of us have changed jobs. That doesn't mean you're out of God's will. If you're doing what God leads you to do, then remember God's will is progressive and moves and is subject to change. One last thing, it may be the most important thing I will say to you, and here it is. Don't miss it. At the bottom line, personally, the way to know the will of God is to live daily in fellowship with God. That's it in a nutshell. If you want to know at the bottom line, personally, how to know God's will, the answer is to live daily in fellowship with God. It's that simple. Now, I don't mean it's easy to do, but if you want to know the will of God at the pivotal points in life, what to do with these major turning points in life, the best way is to live daily in fellowship with God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. How many of you who are married have been married more than 10 years? Let's say you had. All right? Thank you. I'm not going to ask you the next. Hey, lift your hand on the next. How many of you know more about your spouse today than you did 10 years ago? Don't lift your hand. Everybody does. If you've been married 10 years to the same person, you know a whole lot more about them now than you did then. Now, you may not still fully understand them. I can't believe you did that. But that's all right. You know more about them the longer you live with them. I've seen some people, they live together so long, they begin to look like each other. But the point of the matter is, the longer you live with someone, the more you get to know them. You're never going to look like her, I can tell you. <laughs> the longer you live with somebody, the more you get to know them. Translate that. If I want to know the will of God, the best way is to live daily in fellowship with God. How do we know that? Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly with your God. Let's bow together. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, thank you for being here and for your attention. But now we come to the point, what does God want you to do today? If you're not a Christian, I can promise you God's will is that you let him become the Lord of your life. Number one, turn from your sins, turn to him and say, Lord, today I want to be a Christian. Save me, and I promise you he will. And you don't ever have to wait to do that. But if you're here and you're a Christian, but you're not a member of a church in this area where you live, Perhaps God's will is that you leave your home church where you've been for years and become a part of First Baptist Pelham. We would be delighted to welcome you. And in the moment when we sing, 
All you have to do, if you've never done this before, is simply come forward, tell one of our staff, and we'll be happy to take it from there. Maybe you've been struggling with God's will about a certain issue in your life. God's will for you. Remember, he will teach us his will. And he wants us to know it more than we want to know it. Our question is, am I willing to obey him? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that teaches us what your will is. And help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, Paul is going to lead us in our invitation hymn. The staff will be here at the front to welcome you as you come on the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.